This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 157th episode of the podcast, and we're going to be talking about what goes into my pack when I am preparing for late fall and winter fishing. So I've talked about techniques for late fall and winter fishing. I've talked about what to wear in late fall and winter fishing. Uh, I've even talked about what fish do in the late fall and the early winter so that you can fish for them. But today I'm going to talk about some of the particular things that go into my pack when I am thinking about late fall and winter fishing. That's one of those things that I mentioned before in the podcast. Sometimes I think I mention things, I don't qualify them, so I assume that you have a particular piece of gear or that you will be carrying it in a time of year, and that might not be the case, and that's on me. And so this podcast not only will clarify some of those things, but will maybe give you some ideas of some of the stuff that if you have it in your desk at home, maybe you use it all the time, maybe you don't use it, it's definitely worth throwing into your pack, your bag, your vest, your car when you're fishing late fall and early winter when temperatures are dropping both in the air and the water and the fish metabolism is slowing down and so that you're going to have to fish in a way that takes all those things into account. So the very first thing that I wanted to mention is that I fish with a sling pack. I like the Vitavu Beast sling pack when I fish uh, on bigger waters, when I am out all day, when I need to carry a lot of stuff on me, but I also want to make it convenient. And there's two big reasons why I like a sling pack, uh, specifically the, the ones from Vitavu. One, uh, it keeps my front open. So the only thing that you will see if you look at me front on uh, while I'm fishing in a Vitavu sling pack is a strap going from my left shoulder down to my right hip. And that means I can see my feet. It means that nothing's going to get hung up as I'm casting and mending and fishing and fighting fish. But what that also means is in the wintertime, I have full 
access to my hand warmer pouches on my waders or if I have my waders rolled down the pockets of my jacket. This means as I am walking from spot to spot, I can put my hands in my pockets, just put my rod in my armpit, or if I am drifting a fly, I have my right hand up and my left hand stays in my pocket because I really do not like wearing gloves. If I have to wear gloves, I'll wear gloves. I just got a pair of Sims mittens, fingerless mittens. I think last season or the season before, and I love them because uh, there's no like fingertip that fold back that you have to fumble with. It's just a big glove or mitten that goes over the fingerless glove and then you just pop that thing back and it goes below that very first knuckle. Um, and they're fleecy and they're warm and they're thick enough that if they get wet real quick, it's not gonna saturate them. But my preference, even in really, really cold weather, is to not fish with gloves on. So if I can keep a hand in a pocket or a hand warmer pocket as much as possible. I know that's not always the case. You're fishing a streamer, you're having to mend, you're having to strip line in a little bit here and there as you're fishing a dry fly. You need that second hand out. But if you get into a situation where you work a little bit harder so that you can fish lazily with only one hand on the rod and the other hand in the pocket, it's nice to not have anything obstructing your access to your pockets for those situations or when you're walking around or just when you want to stop and, and warm up. You don't have to want to take your vest off just so that you can warm up. But that being said, to each his or her own on what they fish with. Another reason why I like the sling pack is that you can lash stuff to it. So I know that vests oftentimes will have that big compartment or pocket in the back where um, people like will stash the net if they don't have a net retainer and that's great that's fine you can throw things back there i like the versatility of most sling packs the vita vubi sling has this but even a lot of manufacturers and some of the bigger fly fishing companies have it so there's a place where you could lash a jacket or an extra fly rod or something like that and i like using that in the winter time with a dry bag filled with extra layers not filled like like super full, but maybe a, an extra hat, a neck gaiter, or a fleece layer, or a rain shell. Because I don't want to be caught needing something that's in the car when I am far away from the car and I'm wanting to be fishing. I also don't want to have to fumble around with that hat that I'm wearing, the neck gaiter I'm wearing, the gloves that I'm wearing when I want to take them off as I get warm or they become a nuisance to me as I alluded to earlier and have to stuff them down my waders, try to find a pocket in my jacket that may be covered up by my waders or put them on top of all of my gear in my sling pack. So carrying a dry bag that you can just add two or three things to, and it gets to be you know the size of like a like a football or something like that. But then you strap it onto your pack using the compression straps, and it holds on tight. It's out of sight, out of mind. And if you have a well-fitting pack, which my Vita Vubi sling certainly is, then it's going to stay pinned to your back no matter what you're doing, no matter kind of how you have your load packaged. So that's another thing that I always have with me. I think it's always good to have you know, a layer on you, especially a rain jacket, uh, if you're going to be far away from your car. But in the wintertime, I think that is, is even, even more the case. All right. So what's the, the next important thing that I have on me? I have heavy, large underwater flies. So by underwater flies, I mean subsurface stuff like nymphs and streamers. And I'm going to be carrying my heaviest and my biggest stuff. I also have my heaviest and smallest stuff. I think heavy is the most important. I want my flies to be able to get down quickly, but I also like having really big flies, so like nymphs in size eight, 
big old chunky stone fly nymphs in size eight or maybe even six. And I like having really tiny stuff, the little midges, the you know the, the flies that are effectively a hook with some tinsel wrapped around it. I like to present both of those options to fish, but I also like doing what you're supposed to be doing at this time of year, which is fishing them at a dead drift. These fish, generally speaking, not always the case, but they are going to be taking advantage of anything that comes across their face because everything with a fish is an equation that involves energy spent versus calories gained. And in the wintertime when their metabolism slows down, that equation takes on a few new variables, which is they are being cold-blooded creatures, unable to uh, have the same sort of metabolism that they would in the summertime. So I want to present them easy meals, teeny tiny flies, and very hearty meals, very big flies that I swing right in front of them. And I will often do a double fly rig, a double nymph rig with a big chunky stone fly and a teeny tiny midge, you know, two or three feet after it. And I fish my normal tippets. You know, I, I'm just after fishing spring creeks for so many years, I really struggle with fishing, you know, anything heavier than 5x for you know small flies i know that might be overkill but it's a it's a comfort thing for me it's a confidence thing for me these days those materials as long as you know how to tie a knot well are gonna hold a fish if you know how to play a fish right so i'd rather especially with those really small flies fish that 5x and that 6x so i'm talking those little tiny nymphs in the 18 and 20 and 22 range I'd rather fish those things on a monofilament that is going to move a little bit more naturally in the water anyway. So I don't mind running 3x to that really big chunky nymph that I'm drifting, that size 10 or that size 8 uh, nymph, but then coming off of that to that little midge, it's got to be 6x. And I prefer monofilament. I know some people think that's crazy, think fluorocarbon's better. I just, it's its a comfort thing for me, for my knots, for my rigs, for the way it feels, the way it acts in the water. I'm, I just don't have enough experience with fishing fluoro for trout in those conditions. In nymphing and streamers, well, streamers I'm, I'm fine with, but nymphing, I, I, I want to fish monofilament more, more than anything else. I think it performs better in a lot of circumstances as well, um, and I'm, I'm certainly not alone in that. So I carry my heavy flies, both my big heavy flies and my small heavy flies for nymphs, and then also for streamers. Um, I want things to get down deep, and I also want things to be able to be dead drifted. And I've, I've certainly, back in the podcast archives, there's at least one, probably two episodes, about dead drifting streamers in the wintertime. Um, there's a couple of tailwaters around here. There's uh, places where you know there, there'll be uh, weather situations where you have uh, fish that just don't make it because they get trapped and they get kind of flash frozen. And so a tumbling bait fish is a very attractive meal for a larger uh, pisciferous trout in the wintertime. And so I want that fly to get down and I want it to be able to have a little bit of action. So a lot of marabou, flies with a lot of marabou every season of the year, but especially a streamer that you're going to dead drift and give little kind of chirps and little tugs and little ticks, having a fly that's going to fish itself passively. You're not going to have to do anything to it and it's going to move and, and undulate is what you want. But then also to have for, for this situation, 
I would say more than a fly that you strip. A fly that you strip, if you just have a, a cone head or a, um, a, it's like a sculpin helmet or um, bead chain, not, not bead chain eyes, but like dumbbell eyes, you know, as you strip that fly, it's going to right itself and it's going to move in that linear pattern uh, through the water. But if you're dead drifting it, I like to tie these streamers with wraps, you know, non-lead non wraps around the body of the fly so that it will ride horizontally even if it's not being stripped in the water. I feel like sometimes like a cone-headed fly, if you're just letting it kind of drift, as long as the current's not very fast, it's just going to bounce nose down along the bottom of the water. Now, do dying bait fish do that? Yeah, sometimes, but I just would rather that fish have a more natural profile as it's moving, and then as I give it a little jerks and tugs, that's when it kind of goes uh, into its little dying bait fish routine. But there's another essential component that I like to have in my winter pack for fishing these flies that I've mentioned already, both the nymphs and the streamers, and that is always have another spool. I will have another spool in the car usually the rest of the year, but when I am fishing in late fall and in the winter, um, even if it's not particularly deep river, but there's a couple of holes or there's some faster runs that have some deeper water, which is even can be like three to four feet, I will have that sink tip or that intermediate line so that from the very beginning of my presentation all the way to the point where I have to pick up to recast, that fly is going to be in the zone longer. Um, because those fish aren't going to be moving as much as they would in warmer weather, I want my fly to be in front of them even longer. So I think that my logic with, with, with all of this is like this. Um, in the summertime, I might cast and a fish might see that fly enter the water column and come up to chase it. So I have a greater chance of a fish moving to take my fly at the beginning of my presentation and then at the end of my presentation when I'm pulling that fly up to make my, my false cast backwards or to make my, my next cast. I have a better chance of that fish coming up on the front and back end of those casts in warmer weather than I do when it's cold out because those fish, their metabolism is going and they are being more aggressive. Now that's a, generally speaking, there's certainly exceptions to that rule, but in the winter time, I want that fly down in the zone, bouncing off the bottom. If that is the situation I find myself in ASAP. That way, I am effectively covering more of the feeding lies with fewer casts and putting that fly in front of more fish. So I will put that extra spool in my pack and I will bust that out if I get to a deep hole or if I even get to, like I said, a three, four, five foot deep stretch of riffles or just a run and I can throw that on there and from the beginning of my cast, that thing gets down right away and goes all the way through the end of my cast. Now, I carry poly leaders with me still in the wintertime, but I, it really is kind of a halfway measure to getting that fly down. Again, poly leaders are those uh, braided nylon over a heavy core that you put on the end of your fly line between that and your leader, usually a loop-to-loop -loop connection, and it kind of turns your floating fly line into a sink tip. It's not gonna cast nearly as well, and it's going to have a little bit of a hinge even in the water, but it will work. So while that might be my solution if I just come across one random hole or one really fast riffle, uh, in the wintertime, I'm going to have that extra spool on hand 
for most situations where I want to get my fly down. All right, now to the other side of the water column, the top. I also like to fish tiny dry flies in the wintertime. Um, I like the subtlety that they that they bring. I feel like there's a real stillness in the wintertime, even in fast water, where I just, the, the fish just seem like they're not wanting to take as many risks. And so a smaller fly is more natural. You look at the blueing olives and the midges that are buzzing around. Nothing is particularly huge. Um, every once in a while, there's a big buckle that comes off here and there. But here in the east, I really keep it at maybe 14 at the largest, 16, 18, 20, and smaller for midges that call for it. So that's pretty easy. I mean, you just match the hatch or match whatever bugs are coming off around you. But then as far as what... I use to keep them afloat is really the more important thing. I like using Loon's Floatin products because they are temperature stable. If you've ever had uh, Floatin just get super, super gummy in the wintertime, then Loon's products solve that. And they have three gel Floatins that I, I carry, usually at least two at any given time. Um, their Aquel is their normal stuff. Then they have a royal gel, which has a little bit of a sparkle to it, which kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier with the marabou, and it's a passive fishing um, element where you add this stuff to your fly, and it keeps your fly afloat, but it also has a little bit of a sparkle. And so, you know, if, if the fish are maybe a little bit aggressive in the sense that they if they see something, they're going to go after it, this might be the, the slight difference that changes them from, from not taking your fly to taking your fly. And it's not gaudy. It's not like it's a glitter bomb floating down the stream. But it just adds a little bit of something. And, you know, you look at bugs and sometimes you say, well, why did my eye get drawn to that tiny insect on the water? And it's because their wings, they catch and reflect light. So this is a way to do that on a hackle that wouldn't do that naturally. But the other one they have is called Loxa. And Loxa, L-O-C-H-S-A, I believe. And that comes in a, a opaque black bottle. And this will work on floating your CDC flies. And your CDC, your cold canard flies, uh, are not going to behave well if you put traditional floatant that is a little bit more gummy on them. Uh, but this Loxa, it is a thinner uh, compound and it doesn't mat the teeny tiny fibers that make the CDC flies float better. So CDC flies are great because I think they just have a real subtle profile in the water, whether it be on a size 14 or whether it be in a size 20. And to kind of, you know, round it out, that's the opposite side. So if you use the Royal Gel, the sparkly stuff, maybe on a size 16 mayfly that has a traditional uh, wing and hackle and body pattern. If you have a really subtle size 20 CDC fly, now you have the Loxa, and you dab that on there, and now that thing is going to float just in that surface film and present that perfect midge or BWO emerger pattern for those fish that are just sitting below the surface, absorbing the warmth of the sun and sipping fly after fly. All right couple more things to round the episode out of what goes into my pack. Now, to be fair, it isn't hard and fast. I will switch things up depending on the stream I'm on and just kind of my mood. But a couple other things I think that are really important. 
One is a pair of forceps that have finger holes big enough for cold fingers to operate and gloves. And so I like the Loon forceps with the carabiner on it. And I also like the Loon Nip and Sip XL, which I had a video about that. And because it's big and chunky and it's a tool, it's a pair of nippers that you can use with gloves. And it's just simple things like that where it's like just a little bit larger handle makes it easier, just makes things faster. And so that kind of stuff goes into my bag. When I pick my strike indicators, I will go to bright colors uh, as opposed to white. When everything becomes kind of gray and dull out, I'd like to have pink and yellow strike indicators, uh, not really the orange and certainly not the white ones, especially if there's snow or ice like that stuff gets lost it's just like the the snow and the ice on the edge of the stream and the foam um, on the edge of that and then kind of the the just the bubbles in the water those white strike indicators get lost really easily because it just kind of fades into the background but the orange and the pink or excuse me the, the pink and the yellow uh, are the, the colors that I choose whether it be thingamabobbers or whether it be pulses or anything else that makes it into my pack that's what that's what I go with a thermometer. Thermometers are helpful because you can determine if a feeder creek, for example, as it is dumping into a mainstream, if that's warming things up significantly or if it might be cooling things off. That's probably not as common, but this can give you a reading of saying, okay, this might be a spot I can key in on. Now, if you've been fishing someplace for a long time, you might have that knowledge, but if you are fishing someplace for the first time, you're just getting acquainted with the stream to figure out, okay, this is where a little bit of warm water comes in might give you a few spots to key in on where fish could be targeting. The same thing is true if you're fishing near a any place that has some sort of warm water discharge or a spring seep. Having that thermometer will be able to confirm your suspicions and you might have trampled through a bunch of fish that were holding there to get to that spot, but once you get there, you can take that temperature with that quick read thermometer, and the next time you come, you can cast into the spot that is even maybe just five degrees warmer than the surrounding water. Fish are able to sense that. They are so much more in tune to that temperature than we are, and they will take advantage of that and, and find those spots readily and hang out in them in the coldest of weather. And that's really about it. Everything else is the normal stuff. You want to have your split shot. Uh, you want to make sure that you have extra leaders, all the right tippet, some place to put your flies to dry out. Um, you maybe have some good luck flies. You may want to have a hopper with you just because you, you feel like emotionally tied to that hopper. And I get it. You're probably not going to fish it, but you might want to have it just in case. And that's totally fine. And inevitably, over the course of the season, things find their way in, and things that I thought I needed are going to find their way out. But what I went over is kind of my preparing for late fall and early winter uh, fishing gear checklist. That stuff has to go in, um, along with some of just the other standard things. If there's anything that you can't do without, now given you might be fishing for steelhead or salmon, or you might be in a different part of the country, or you might be fishing in a, a tailwater, and you have a completely different fly box, completely different gear set, and I get it. But for normal trout fishing, 
in late fall and winter. This is kind of some, some distinctive gear that makes it way into my sling pack. But let me know what you fish. Matthew at castingacross.com. Love to hear it. We're only about three weeks away from the next accusation, fly fishing accusation podcast. So send your feedback. I've got some really cool things to share with that uh, podcast, but anything else anybody wanted to send would be appreciated. And uh, I'm happy to get back in touch with you uh, if you make it on the podcast or not. This week on the website, the first article that came out was called Fast Fly Rods, Should You or Shouldn't You? Fast Fly Rods, Should You or Shouldn't You? This one got a lot of traction, which is really cool because I think it was something that was controversial, but people are kind of chilled out on it now, and people are very opinionated about anything in fly fishing. You know, everyone has their favorite fly rod. Everybody has their favorite fly rod action, and some people feel the need to be dogmatic about that. I think we've kind of gotten past that. We've also gotten past the point where fast fly rods are the top of the line fly rod in every fly fishing manufacturer's catalog. We've slowed down a little bit. I felt like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, everything was just so, so, so fast. But in this article, I go through three situations. It's not the only three situations, but the three situations that I thought of where having a fast fly rod really is helpful. But I also asked three questions that you should ask yourself before you consider getting a fast fly rod. And the most, I think, pertinent one is a fast fly rod. Are you buying it to fix your cast? Because that's not going to work. So check that out. Uh, Wednesday's article was called 30 Long Wet Minutes. 30 Long Wet Minutes. This is a story about me waking up in the middle of the night with a tent filled with water. I mean, who wouldn't want to read that? So you should read that. Why that happened? How did I try to fix it? 30 long wet minutes. This week's recommendation on casting across. Now, real quick, I'm going to be recommending all sorts of small businesses. I always recommend small businesses. I love small businesses, especially small businesses within the fly fishing industry. But this week, I have to mention the good people at Costco. I love Costco. Who doesn't love Costco? If you have a Costco membership, you should own their 32 degrees heat tee and heat pant. If you are a outdoors person, then you will be happy to have the $12 for two pairs of pants, $12 for two shirts, base layers. And they're all synthetic, but they are comfortable and they last and they are cheap 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 so if this is just your backup layer or if this is what you wear maybe not when you're fishing but when you're doing other outdoor stuff it's definitely worth having but i think it is definitely serviceable for your outdoor activities for having as a base layer under your warm fleece pants that go under your waders to just be one more layer that you put on before you get ready to go out hiking or fishing or camping, or doing yard work, or shoveling snow in the wintertime, and for the price, you just can't beat it. My kids have so many pairs of these, and they wear them all the time in the winter, because the last thing they want to do is put on a coat, so they put on their base layer compression stuff, and then they put on a, a long sleeve t-shirt, and they feel like they are real masculine out there in the cold, cold weather, so go to Costco. I will put a link in the show notes to Costco, and to the 32 degree uh, heat gear on the show notes for this podcast page on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.